All right. All right, that's enough fun. Go ahead and head back to your seat. It's good to see the church up, moving around, connecting with one another. I'm so grateful that you're here today. I hope your Groundhog Day was off the charts. I'm excited about the promise of spring right around the corner. Speaking of Groundhog Day, I want to start with a corny joke. In honor of Groundhog's Day, if the pastor wakes up and sees his shadow, there will be six more weeks of this sermon series. Actually, I've got some either good news or bad news. I don't know where you land on this continuum, but uh, we've got more than six weeks. We are journeying through Philippians, and uh, actually, we've got about, give or take, six weeks. Then we're going to take a break from chasing joy through Philippians because, oh my goodness, Paul the Apostle Paul, who writes Philippians to encourage this church family that he loves, he's referring back on the single greatest moment in human history that drives his soul, drives what he does, it drives what he's calling them to do. We're going to celebrate Easter as well. So we're going to take a break for the Easter season. I'm excited about some of the fun things that we've got planned. You're going to hear more about this coming up, what we've got going on through the Easter season. We'll take a break from Philippians. We're going to come back to Philippians after a brief series surrounding Easter and uh, that'll take us almost to summer. So the first chunk of 2024, we are in God's Word, studying line by line through an amazing book of Philippians. If you're a guest today, I'm so glad that you're with us. Do me a favor right now, all of us, grab your Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you, feel free to grab the one that's underneath the seat in front of you. If you want to use that Bible, go to page 1,179. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 1, beginning with verse 27. Maybe you've got this Philippians journal. Grab that. Go there. I can't wait to dive into that. I got to meet a comedian a few years ago. And by meet a comedian, I mean I got to shake his hand and then he forgot all about me. That's what I mean by meeting him. I happened to be at a gathering with some other pastors and it's a great church in the Atlanta area. This guy worships there. Perhaps you remember the dude that was rocking a mustache before mustaches were cool again. He was the guy, you might be a redneck if, remember this guy? Jeff Foxworthy loved his comedy. He's a Jesus follower. It was cool to get to meet him briefly. He went on tour years ago. Perhaps you remember this tour. It was the Blue Collar Comedy Tour for Comedians. It was Jeff Foxworthy. It was uh, Larry the Cable Guy. It was Ron White. And it was Bill Ingvall. I love live comedy. I love sitting in a room, listening to jokes being told and the infectious roar of laughter through a crowd. As somebody who presents with words, I very much appreciate that art form. A comedian will take their hour and they work it and they rework it and they redo it and they just tighten it up to where just words are powerful with punch and meaning and before it's done, you're just rolling with laughter. I love live comedy. That tour do you remember Bill Ingvall had a catchphrase? His catchphrase was, here's your sign. It started with this joke, I hate stupid people. They should have to wear signs that just say, I'm stupid. 
Then he had a whole like franchise of merchandise and uh, material that you could buy that was based off of the Here's Your Sign. The title of today's message is Here's Your Sign. Let me show you the quote from Bill Ingvall. Last time I had a flat tire, I pulled my truck into one of those side-by-side-of-the-road gas stations. The attendant walks out, looks at my truck, looks at me, and I swear he said, tire go flat? I couldn't resist. I said, nope, I was driving around and those other three tires just swelled right up on me. Here's your sign. That's the title of the message today. You're going to see in a minute how I get there. Here's the big idea. If you're taking notes in your Bible margins or in this journal, you might even want to write this down. Saints, by the way, that's you. If you've asked Jesus to be Lord and Savior of your life, he doesn't view you through the lens of sinner. He sees you as a saint. Saints may suffer, may struggle, but this is a sign of salvation. A couple of things I want to comment on there. First of all, you'll notice this word, a. Struggling, suffering, it's not the sign of salvation, but it is a sign that you are connecting with your Lord and your Savior. He suffered. He suffered. It's a sign that we're connected with him. We've been journeying through Philippians, and up until this point in this letter, Paul has been informing the church in Philippi about his situation. Actually, last week, if you were here last week, we discovered that that part of the book of Philippians, it almost feels stream of consciousness. It's almost like we're getting a glimpse into Paul's personal prayer journal. He's sharing about his struggles, his suffering. He's wrestling with this idea to live as Christ, to die as gain. If I go on living in the body, this will be much fruitful labor for me. I desire to depart and be with Christ. This is better by far. What shall I choose? I'm torn between the two. Perhaps you remember this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 24. He says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. He's speaking to the church that he loves. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with you all for your progress, for your joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Look forward to that. Put that date on the calendar. I want to be there again because I want to infuse joy into your life. He's talking about his struggles. He's talking about his um, Well, persecution. He's in jail as he writes this. But then he looks at them, and we're turning a corner here, and he's saying to his church family, listen, buckle up. Now it's your turn. This is where we lean into the text today. By the way, today's passage reminds me of why it is so valuable that we take time as a church family and do an exegetical study of God's Word because there are times when we are reading through and studying through a book like the book of Philippians, well, honestly, we'll wrestle with a topic that I might not pick otherwise. When we're picking topics that we want to preach on and talk about and wrestle with, the text makes us deal with a topic. That's what's happening today. Let's read together. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. 
Only let your manner of life, hold on to that phrase, we're going to spend some time unpacking that. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. We're going to talk about that. With one mind, we're going to talk about that. Striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Do not be frightened in anything by your opponents. Oh, if they have an opponent, there must be some conflict. There must be some struggle. He's saying, listen, buckle up. Now it's your turn. I'm in jail writing to you. Buckle up. Get ready. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Did you catch that? A sign of your salvation. Struggle. Persecution. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I thought if I asked Jesus to be my Savior, then he makes everything better and all the hard stuff goes away. No. Actually, if you were to ask the first century Christians, the Philippians, they might say it actually got worse. It got worse after I proclaimed Jesus is Lord. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. What it, what it is that I'm having to wrestle with, Paul is saying, buckle up, it's your turn. Gear up, get ready. Can I pray over the text? And then we're going to grab some application from it. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Father, this topic... This topic of persecution, this topic of suffering for Christ, I, mm, it's so hard for us to put an American spin on this. It's so, or easy rather, for us to put a layer of what we experience over the top of this. Lord, would you cut through even our experience and grab our hearts right now as we study your word, call us to good action for your sake. It's in your name, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. That verse 27, I told you several weeks ago that I, I memorized this to pass a test years ago, and I memorized it in an older translation than the one you're studying in the ESV right now. We just read that in the ESV version. I memorized it in the NIV, the 1984 edition. This is how they translate Philippians 1.27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves. There's a reflexive idea here that you're going to do this action of conducting. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Conduct. It's a verb there. The noun form would be conduct. I want to talk today about conduct. It's so easy to look at that word and, oh my goodness, it feels formal to me. I don't know about you. It makes me think of report cards. It makes me think of middle school basketball coaches. Hey, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of our team. You're representing our school. When you're in this other space, I'm watching your conduct like a hawk. Don't mess up. That's what that word makes me think of. It also makes me think of electricity. I was in our new-to-us house just yesterday working with uh, wire, copper wire. 
We use copper in electricity wires because it conducts electricity very well. Copper is a good conductor. Turns out the house, we bought it from a guy who was a ham radio operator, and there's all kinds of copper wire in this house. I happen to be pulling that out. A conductor. Think about that. The word Christian. That's you. That's me. The first place we find that word in Scripture is Acts chapter 11 in the story, our origin story. We're first called Christians in Antioch. That idea of Christian, perhaps you like me have heard the the idea that that word means little Christs. Kind of. That concept was popularized by an author named C.S. Lewis in the 50s. He wrote a book called Mere Christianity. He kind of teased that idea out that Christian is little Christs. That's not a bad word picture, but that word, oh my goodness, it literally means, well, it's someone whose behavior and heart, both actions, conduct, and being reflect our Lord and Savior Jesus. my whole life long. I've wrestled with a continuum. Let's go ahead and put this up on the screen. The doing versus being continuum. I want to talk today about conduct, but let's go ahead and grab that before we dive in. What do we mean by conduct? If you, like me, were a kid who was motivated by the gold star or the pat on the head, the attaboy, girl, I bet you might struggle with this as well. I think of my Christian faith way too often over here. Am I doing the right thing? Am I living up to the right thing? not just for the privilege and pleasure of honoring Jesus with that, but am I in some way earning my way into his good graces? The other end of that continuum is the, well, I'll just be, I won't worry about the doing. Both of these are extremes that maybe we would seek to avoid. Here's the caution today. Jesus, and by the way, this might be the kind of thing you want to write down in the margin of that Philippians journal that you're taking notes in. The caution would be that Jesus values your conduct, but your conduct does not increase your value to him. Let me just take a minute. Let that soak in. Let me repeat it again. Jesus values your conduct. It is important. We're going to talk about it for the rest of the time we have together in this sermon. But your conduct does not increase your value to him. You are, if you've asked Jesus to be Lord and Savior of your life, you are a beloved child of God. There's identity in the being. That's good. But he values our conduct for a whole lot of reasons that we want to unpack together today. I want to talk to you with the rest of the time that we have together. I want to look at little c, conduct. And then I want to spend some time looking at capital C, conduct. We'll unpack what those mean as we go. I want to start with little c, conduct. It needs three different things. Little c, conduct would be your conduct. Your conduct. My conduct. As an individual, how am I, well, a Christian, a little Christ, looking more like Jesus in my behavior and in my actions. Three things it needs. One, 
It is a word study. Let's look at that word, conduct, and tease it out just a bit. How does it say it in the ESV? If you open up there, it says, only let your manner of life, that word that's translated manner of life, the NIV translates it conduct. Actually, if you were looking at an old translation like the King James Version, it translates it as conversation. Even the words that you're using as you kind of walk through life, this is what this word means. In the Greek, the original language that Paul penned this letter to the Philippians in, you could take this word that we're translating as conduct or conversation or manner of life, it literally means to behave as citizens. Behave as citizens. This would have caught the attention of the Philippians. It would have absolutely caught their attention in that moment. It would be like if I wrote a letter to the church I served back in the day in Bloomington and I called them Hoosiers. That would land differently on them than if I wrote a letter to a church in West Lafayette. They would take that word and receive it just a little bit differently because down there they bleed cream and crimson. When Paul writes to the church in Philippi, he uses this word citizens, behave as citizens. Philippi is a Roman colony. I've talked about this just a little bit in previous weeks. Most of its citizens were transplanted citizens of the capital city of Rome. Most of its citizens, get this, were retired soldiers who had been given land or encouraged to settle there. Perhaps you remember the old movie, the Russell Crowe movie, Gladiator. There's a theme in that movie. He just wants to get back to the land that he was given for his military service, but the emperor says, no, I need you to serve some more. This is the idea of Philippi. It's filled with people who very much viewed their identity through the lens of citizenship. I told you a few weeks ago, it's true. Their pride is ancient pride. They were named by Alexander the Great's daddy, Philip of Macedon. That's where Philippi gets its name. When they think about citizenship, oh, that meaning runs deep for them. They're patriotic. Paul applies this term to the life of a Christian whose citizenship is actually in heaven. This would have been a powerful teaching to the church in Philippi. If you skip ahead two chapters in the letter we're studying, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, he says very clearly, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So do not confuse your identity. Where your citizenship is found, we've talked a bit about kingdom theology. We talked about it last week. God's kingdom, my kingdom, I think, in terms of the realm of my influence, God's kingdom, it's the realm of his influence. We are citizens, not just of the space we're walking in now, but we have an eternal citizenship that is founded in heaven. Okay, that's our word study. Little c, the little c conduct needs not just a word study, it needs, we just discovered the word, it needs a citizenship test. Our behavior as citizens is to, what did, the, what did the Bible say? To be worthy of the gospel. To be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This implies that there is behavior, there is conduct that is not worthy of the gospel. 
To act unworthy of the gospel would bring shame upon the gospel, the good news of Jesus. This got me thinking. I did a little bit of a deep dive this past week. Americans behaving badly abroad. Oh my goodness, did I find all kinds of stories that I could share with you. For example, I could share with you this story of somebody in a foreign country that was trying to smuggle their dog into a space. They've been told you can't bring their dog, your dog, so they stuffed it into a suitcase. This is the x-ray of their dog as it went through customs wherever in a foreign country that they were visiting. Americans behaving badly. How about this, popping a whole uncooked chicken into your carry-on? Not good. There's a Florida man joke in there somewhere. A family of American tourists who wreaked havoc in Israel's Ben Gurion airport in Tel Aviv in April after trying to transport an unexploded shell through security. Dumb idea. A dude in Honduras uh, reported to have damage inside the cockpit then of a Miami-bound American Airlines plane when he tried to jump out of the window, all while the aircraft was still at the gate, Americans behaving badly. I've got story after story, topless sunbathing on a war memorial, skinny dipping in Venice canals, Rome's steps damaged by people riding scooters up and down them, Story after story, Americans abroad behaving badly. Hey, American citizens, if you're going on vacation this summer, don't embarrass us. <laughs> Similarly, Jesus followers, don't embarrass him. This is conduct worthy of the gospel. The apostle Peter would remind us that we are sojourners or temporary citizens of the country we happen to find ourselves in. It's not our home. Look at this. First Peter chapter 2, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans, those who do not follow Jesus yet, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So live in such a way that your attitudes and actions Oh, they're winsome, winsome to people who are not yet following Jesus. This is where the doing and being continuum becomes important. Could I simply invite you to think about this last week? How are you doing versus simply being? When you think about your workplace this past week, do people see you? And do they see Jesus reflected through your attitudes and your actions? How is your conduct? Is it worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ? How about your school, those of you who are students? Would your peers, do they see Jesus leaking in and through you? Do they, when they look at you, do they see him? Do they see attitudes and actions worthy Conduct worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Family gatherings, we could go on and on. What did you do this past week? And at the risk of, of stirring up controversy, we're, we're getting ready to step into a contentious election cycle. I don't know if you've noticed that or not. We probably need to talk about, you, you'll never catch me, I, I, I'm very careful, I don't want to be preaching politics from the, cult, uh, the pulpit. Why? Because my citizenship is in heaven. Listen, I'm an American, and I have deep, one, convictions as a voter, but I would never want to tell you how to vote. 
But maybe we should this year especially be thinking about our attitudes and our actions and how we go about engaging in this contentious political season. There's a reason why Emily Post said, don't bring up religion or politics at a dinner party because it stirs up all kinds of emotions and there's opportunity for reactions there. I'm not saying don't talk about politics. I'm saying be so careful to not let your citizenship here bleed over and influence your citizenship in heaven. And be so careful not to confuse those two, especially in the hearts and the minds and the viewpoint of people who are listening to you and watching your actions as you make that post on Facebook. Maybe stop and ask yourself the question, this year especially, am I conducting myself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And let the answer to that question inform whether you should go ahead and post or edit your post first. Personal accountability. Little C conduct needs a word study, it needs a citizenship test. It needs personal accountability. Our behavior as citizens is to be worthy with or without the presence of other Christians. Notice that Paul said, whether I come and see you or am absent. He's basically saying, I don't want your faith to be an environmental faith. What do I mean by that? Well, that the environment dictates how you conduct yourself. A faith totally dependent upon the environment would be like, oh my goodness, when you're under the positive influences of at home, your mom's watching. That changes how you act, right? Do you act high school students the same way at school when mom and dad aren't watching as you act at home? That's an environmental faith. Be careful. Do you act the same way at church as you act in the workplace and vice versa? If there's a difference in the incongruity between those two, perhaps you wrestle with an environmental faith. I went back last week and walked around the Christian college that Don and I graduated from, and I got to thinking about what it was like to live in an incubator of faith on that space and that, how that influenced my thoughts and my actions, living 24-7 in an environment that was studying the Bible. I hope my actions today are as pure as they were then. An environmental faith, though, you got to be careful. If you take the person out of that environment, how much of their faith, their conduct gets shifted. Paul is saying, with or without me, live up to this. Even if no one's watching, it's the very definition of integrity. Little C conduct, we've been talking about that. That's you, that's me, the little C contributors to the church. But can I talk about the capital C conduct? Because as I told you last week, the language here in the text, whenever you see you, almost every time you can assume it's not just you. It's not just you. Well, Jeff Foxworthy would approve. It's good Southern speak. It's all y'all. It's all of you because Paul is writing to a specific group of people. It's all of you. This is capital C conduct. So he gives instructions, all y'all, the whole church, conduct yourselves as a group, not just as individuals, but as a group worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Capital C conduct means several things. I'm going to give you three. These come straight out of the text. You might just simply highlight these or underline these in your Bible or in your Philippians journal as we hit them. Capital C conduct, all y'all, means standing firm in one spirit. Let's look at it in the text. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are, here we go, standing firm in one spirit, one spirit, standing firm. Standing firm against what? I'm so glad you asked. Here are a few things that we need to be careful as a group we are standing firm against. How about this? The lure of the world. Oh, there's such a tension in church. We want to be relevant to the culture, so we want to ask questions they're actually asking questions to, but we want to be so careful not to be the world. We're called to be set apart. There's a tension here we need to wrestle with as a group of believers and hold one another accountable to that. How about this? The sin of unbelief. Stand firm as a church, as a group of believers against that. Oh, my goodness, do you wrestle with doubt? Well, let's wrestle through that together in community. Are you in a smaller group Bible study? Are you in a small group? Are you struggling through some of those topics together? Are you wrestling together? Because God gave you the church. He gave you community for a reason. How about this? The deceitfulness of false doctrines. It's so important that as a church, as a leadership, we make sure we wrestle through. This is what we believe, and we stand on that truth. We're honest about that truth. We believe, what, honestly, what the Bible tells us to do, and let's hold one another accountable to that. Stand fast in one spirit. Be like-minded in this. The word there is unity. How about this? Capital C. Capital C conduct means not just standing firm in one spirit, but how about this? It, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Here we find this in the text. You could underline that if you want. Go ahead and look in verse 27. With one mind, striving side by side for the sake of the gospel. Do you take Jesus with you wherever you go? Collectively, as a group of Christians, does the world see us and recognize there's something, I can't quite put my finger on it, but there's something different about them. We know in our hearts, in our minds, the difference is Jesus and the hope that we have. We get to chase joy even in the midst of persecution or struggle. Are we engaging in family life? Are we doing this together? All right, here's the last capital C conduct that he highlights. He says, do not be frightened in anything by your opponents. You see this in verse 28. You might want to go ahead and underline it there. And then notice, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation. They're persecuting you because of your faith, Paul is telling the Philippians. But this is from God. This is a gift from God, for it's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now you hear that I still have. It's a sign, a sign of salvation. Jesus talks about this in the Sermon on the Mount. 
Perhaps you remember the Beatitudes, all of those blessed are statements. Look at verse 10 of chapter 5 of the book of Matthew. Blessed are those who are persecuted, not period, not a period at the end of that sentence, but because of righteousness. If you're persecuted, not because you wore the wrong outfit to the spring formal or whatever, but you're persecuted because of Jesus, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Their citizenship in that moment, in other words, is found in heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, you falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. This is Jesus talking. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven where your true citizenship is found. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's an important distinction to make. Jesus is saying, when you're persecuted for my sake, blessings on you. Our early history that Paul is writing into is filled with persecution. There's this moment where one of the early movers and shakers in our faith, his name is Peter. He's standing before the Sanhedrin. By the way, this is the ruling body of, of, of Jewish people that Paul had influence with, the author of our letter. Acts chapter 5, we see this. He gets up and he preaches this powerful sermon in front of the Sanhedrin. And the verse says, his speech persuaded them. Oh, good. They see the error of their ways. They're going to empower the opportunity for the gospel to move forward. Oh, good. He persuaded them. Wait. He persuaded them deeper into their own convictions because look at the next verse. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus. Let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin then, rejoicing. Wow, that's a weird reaction. Because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name Jesus. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Why? What would motivate them to do that? Because these are the same guys who were sitting there on the mountainside when Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. And he said, blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are you when this happens to you because of me. They said, this is a blessing being heaped on top of us. Capital C and little c conduct, whether it's an individual or the church as a large, requires a history lesson. We need to remember where we came from and to lean into that. If you are persecuted for Jesus' sake, if you're made fun of, if you're teased, if you're sidelined because you refuse to cut corners in an unethical way, if you're persecuted for Jesus' sake, blessings, blessings be upon you. My goodness. You could read the book of Acts. I don't have time to read all of it right now, but this is exactly what happens when the church in an organic state starts to explode and it begins to thrive. You could look at Acts chapter 8, and you could see the title in Acts chapter 8. Let's go there. Verse 1, there's a title, the church is persecuted and scattered. And God does amazing things even in the midst of that. Make no mistake, in the middle of Stephen, the first Christian martyr being dragged off and killed for his faith, 
And Paul, the author of our letter, he had something to do with that. He was standing there giving approval. The church's origin story, our history, our origin story is persecution. That's where we were birthed. That's where we were maybe our healthiest. Truth be told, I would say through Christian history, where things start to get a little wonky sometimes is when we're not in that position of influence from persecution, but when we're in a power position and we start become, becoming corrupted by the things that sneak in sideways from the world. Our origin story is persecution, and catch this, our conduct is our witness. How we react in the midst of persecution, how, oh, our conduct is so important. Would you grab, would you grab your communion elements and pull them out right now? I want to land the plane similar to where we started. I want to give you some space. Could we look at it again, the doing versus being continuum? I hope you've been wrestling through this this week. I don't know where you find yourself this week on that continuum. Maybe there's a sin issue on the doing side that you need to wrestle with. Maybe there's an identity issue. Whose citizen are you of? Are you a citizen of heaven? Are you a citizen of earth? The being side. Maybe there's something in here right now the Holy Spirit would whisper into your ear and he would invite you to wrestle with. Why? Well, at the beginning of this, I cautioned you on the doing side could I caution you now to embrace the being side? Here's why. Because being, what we're getting ready to do, just to soak in the truth that Jesus is Lord and he's my Savior. And be reminded of that epic truth and just sit in the truth that I'm a beloved child of God. And giving space and time to reflect in that, the being should illuminate, it should highlight the doing. How am I doing? Is my conduct worthy Am I living my life in a manner worthy? As a citizen of heaven, is it worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's between you and him. I'm going to get out of the way so you can spend some time soaking in those questions directly with him. I'm going to get you started. You take the communion elements into your body when you're ready to receive them. But you spend some time wrestling. You spend some time praying. And then we're going to respond in worship. Would you bow your heads with me?